0: This is your time to Lit Up with Angela Breidenbach. Lit Up is lighting up the literary world with book reviews, in-depth expert interviews, and ideas for you to design a lucrative writing career. Expand your imagination to enhance your life. Lit Up is always family friendly, always good for your heart. Now here is your host to Lit Up, Angela Breidenbach.
1: Hey there, and we are
2: so glad you're with us on Lit Up with Angela Breidenbach. Today I have the joy and pleasure of interviewing a longtime dear friend, Rachel S. Neal. She actually lives in Montana with me. We've been in a group together called Empty Pages Writers for Montana writers all across the state. She's been a really fun friend to have in Critique with me. She's done retreats with me. She's been a dear friend who's done lots of coffees with me. And she has written biblical fiction for a long time, biblical fiction that I have dearly loved. And what I'm going to do is introduce you to Rachel S. Neal, and I'm going to ask her to tell you the titles of her books, a little bit about them, and then on this show, we're going to get into her newest book, When Jonah Ran, and then we're going to ask her to help us learn how to write biblical fiction. Welcome, Rachel. Well, thank you, Angie. It's great to be here. I'm just delighted. This has been so much fun. And I will tell people that I asked Rachel to come eat lunch with me. So when we are eating lunch, I tried out my new Mediterranean diet on her.
3: And And it was delicious. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs)
2: And we got to try prosciutto egg cups. And so, um, you know, I might just put a little recipe or something in our show notes. And anything you hear on the show today, including Rachel's book titles or my book titles or tips or something like that, we'll put the majority of that in the show notes. And you can find them at toginet.com slash shows slash lit up. Or you can also find them on Apple Podcasts at Lit Up with Angela Breidenbach, where you'll get to hear all of the different shows if you subscribe and learn how to have a more lucrative, creative career. So now, Rachel, would you mind telling us what are the titles of the books that you have published? And let's get into that.
3: Okay, well, my first book was called Blood of Adam, and that was written in 2012. Loved it. (laughs) I didn't know when I wrote that book if I was going to write any more, but I loved the process of writing. And that book is about, well, it's a Generations of Noah series. So I took his three sons and then wrote about the three sons and daughter-in-laws through time. So the first book, Blood of Adam, is about Japheth and his wife, and it's just before the flood. Then the second book is Bones of Rebellion is my second book. (laughs) And so that is Ham and his wife, and it takes us um, up to the time of the Tower of Babel. Mm. And then Breath of Knowledge is the third book, and that is Shem and Aaron, and takes us through the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I think it's
2: just fascinating, and I had so much fun reading your novels. And they were very rich with not only the history of the Bible, But with the characters and the setting, and I was just astonished at how rich your settings were, and it kept me really enthralled. Even from you as a beginning and, and developing writer, I just kept seeing these stories develop as we were in critique group until they came out and were published. And then you got into these gorgeous book covers. When you started working on and creating your own book covers, what was it that made you want to create your own covers? And, folks, I'm going to tell you she's an indie writer, but she's got a lot of rich writing in there, so you're going to enjoy Rachel S. Neal, spelled N-E-A-L. And what is your website, real quick, Rachel? GraceByTheGallum.com gracebythegallon.com and she has a nice blog on there and she does a lot of great biblical teaching through what she does but how do you take these book covers and focus them
3: how do you design your book covers because they're beautiful well thank you basically because I was cheap I didn't hire anybody (laughs) Well, that is the honest truth. <laughs> I, I I tried to go into my writing career without getting into debt, which I've done very successfully. But part of that was being able to do everything myself, and so making book covers was just part of that process. And I learned the hard way. I have got one book now that's um, it's only two years old, but it's on its third cover. <laughs> Learning the hard way how to make something look genre appropriate and um, Professional and professional, yes. It's 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 a it's a tricky thing. I'm not an artist. Maybe I'm an artist in my heart, but not by profession. <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> it means my mother loves everything I do, but nobody else necessarily <laughs> does. <laughs> anyway, I got into Photoshop, and that has worked very well for me to to just design my own covers on Photoshop. I go to different sites online, um, Dreams Time, ThinkStock. Lightstock, there's a whole slew of them out there where you can buy professional images for a very reasonable cost and then um, manipulate them on Photoshop.
2: I think that's a really awesome way to do it. And for people that are on Mac like I am, Rachel's on PC, and I'm on Mac, and so she's been using Photoshop. I'm learning how to use a program called Affinity, which is Mac's program for Photoshop that you purchase off of the App Store. And being able to manipulate the photos and learn how to layer photos and blend them and have those little spots that can be more transparent, like on when Jonah ran, you see her main character on the front cover is actually a woman, and it's Jonah's wife, right? That's correct. And she becomes more transparent, and the water behind her really gives you the feel of Jonah. And what's so cool is that only part of her seems very transparent on here so that you see more of the cover. Tell us a little bit about how you designed When Jonah Ran.
3: Because the title is about Jonah, but really my book is geared toward women, Christian fiction readers, so it was interesting to try to decide how to make that cover. I didn't want a man necessarily just on the cover. Plus, biblical characters are very hard to find images. So part of of that, again, was going with what I could find. Give all credit to Lightstock for the beautiful image that I used. It's actually, um, they entitled it Mary Magdalene, but in my book it's not. (laughs) It's Jonah's wife. And what's your character's name, Jonah's wife? What's her name? I named her Michael. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Angie's husband is named Michael. <laughs> My husband is named Michael. It's a good but, name. But this is Michael the girl <laughs> <of them. laughs> So I used that image, and then just um, wanted to have the water in the background because everybody will associate Jonah with water. It, it, it's hard to go without a little water in your cover because I wanted them to realize it is Jonah of the Bible. What else? Did what I mean?
2: What did you do in designing the cover, though? I remember seeing you show different covers and choices to readers and getting feedback. Tell us a little bit about that process.
3: Yes, you have to be very thick-skinned <laughs> if you're going to write or make covers and find a good group of people that will be very honest with you and, and then be prepared because everybody has an opinion. <laughs> because they're too honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be, ooh, wow, brutal. <laughs> so I have a, a group on Facebook that I go through and we post covers that we're working on and and wow, you just wait for the feedback. And really, I, I make fun of it, but people are very positive for the most part. But they will tell you if something doesn't look right, like that font is too contemporary. Or one problem that I see a lot is historical fiction, but the models look very modern. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it is hard because if you don't want to spend a lot of money and hire a professional photographer and hire models, and it is very hard to find the kind of cover you're looking for.
2: It's difficult, and I remember watching you go through the process, and this cover is completely different model than what you started with. And I remember one of the problems was, though she wore a scarf, the transparency made it almost look like she had blonde hair, but she it was a scarf. and so
3: <laughs> Yeah, that was really funny. People, people kept saying, she looks so Norwegian. And I kept looking at it, why does she look Norwegian to everyone? and And then I realized, oh, the the light colored scarf made her look like a blonde <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't and with that
2: kind of feedback she could make changes in the cover and in the design and pick different photo models and pay for those by the way you do pay for those but in some of the places that you've used they've been much less expensive the names and go again through a couple of places that you
3: bought them yeah uh, Lightstock is where i bought the last image and ten dollars is mm-hmm. all i paid for that image And what you're looking for when you're going through those companies like ThinkStock and LightStock and Dreamstime is something that's royalty free. And then you just want to make sure you read the what you're getting for that. So for this image, I can have, oh, it's not right in front of me, but I believe it's 100,000 copies, print copies made. So if if I'm selling 100,000 books, well, hey, that's okay. I can, I can pay for for the upgraded contract with um, mm-hmm. with my model, but um yeah, for the most part you can get them ten dollars or less there's also other places you can buy photos that are much more expensive and beautiful, but it's just all within your budget, but it is doable to make a beautiful cover without a lot of money
2: and I think it's important too when you're purchasing your license to make sure that that license allows you to manipulate the photo because some places you can buy the model you can buy the you can even buy the whole cover but some places, if you buy a certain photo, there's a licensing structure. You have to pay more to be able to manipulate the photo. Or if you aren't paying, if you're buying the photo from a specific spot, sometimes you're not even allowed to manipulate the photo, which makes it problematic. It's got to stay exactly like it is. That that means you're not able to manipulate the photo to change your cover to make it look unique. And I ran into that problem with not having a unique enough photo. It looked unique. I thought it was unique. I bought the photo rights to use the debutante queen cover of my book. Gorgeous royal blue gown. She's beautiful. She's looking out of a a very um, Victorian liking window. And after I came out with that, I got asked by a lot of different people, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? And I shared where I got that and doggone it if about six, eight more books didn't come out almost right away with the same model in the same dress oh. and the same model in different poses in the same dress. So now I've got to... And I've gotten the rights back to a couple of the books that I sold to other publishers now so I'm able to put the entire series together as one. And so I now need to go in and do what you did and recover those books and bring them back out again with completely different covers. But... I had a couple of those books go through like dove.org and get their seal of approval. So now I have to recover and send them in, you know, the new covers so that they can post the proper covers. And so it's quite the ordeal when you do things that you would use a cover model you can't manipulate in the artwork, I mean. (laughs) Right, right. I need to go and find more artwork or get my own photo model and take my own photos, but then there's specifications you have to follow with that, too. So I know Essie Thomas, or Susan Thomas here, she does her own photography using her own models, but I think that's something I'm
3: looking into for the future. What about you? Yeah, I and I do a lot of photography just as a hobby, but I've never done too much of my own work with models. I'm interested in it. It, it intimidates me a little bit because the quality. I, I just worry that even my own pictures wouldn't have the quality, but I will be emotionally attached because I did the photo. <laughs> good, <laughs> With, good point. But I'm sure Angie will tell me if it doesn't look right. So, <laughs> <laughs> or one of your many Facebook friends. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> one, one thing I do advise people if they are doing their own books is: wow, you know, you may love a piece of artwork that your child did, but it probably won't make a good cover. And Please don't use that. The honest truth is there that. Oh, wow. Handmade artwork is just, you can spot it a mile away as an amateur, and you may have the best book ever, but that amateur artwork will flag you
2: down. Yeah. So you've got to make sure that you've learned either how to make your own cover or you purchase it from somebody.
0: Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this.
1: Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, the treasure of experience today, wherever books are sold, or at AngelaBreidenbach.com. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up
2: on iTunes. You can subscribe also on toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career.
0: We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach.
2: With Rachel S. Neal, author of When Jonah Ran, it just released. When did it release? February first. Oh wow, brand new, and it's beautiful cover. But I want to tell you um, what the back of the cover is about, for, so we can give you a little bit of that description, and then we're going to start getting into asking you, Rachel, to share with us deeper into the story. Everything that doesn't take away from sharing the ending. (laughs) But also, I'm going to have you start teaching us a little bit about how to write biblical fiction and make this come to life. So we'll get into that in a minute. So, about the story, When Jonah Ran, this is her tagline, and I love this. He isn't the only one sinking beneath the waves of rebellion. Jonah is a prophet for a God who refuses to speak. Frustrated with his beloved Israel's complacency, he's desperate for a voice from heaven to renew his own calling and commitment to the righteous ways of his ancestors, until God does speak. Disobedience is Jonah's only option to the command he's given. Despite the dire consequences, he won't sharpen a sword destined to strike his own people. Michael is the prophet's wife, but not the woman he loves. Oh my. Oh. Oh. She tries to be all he needs, but can't replace her sister, the woman of Jonah's past. Disappointment clings to the dark shadows of her soul. So does a secret that she'll never reveal. One morning, Jonah is simply gone, and Michael's stability is threatened. When a solution is provided, she must choose whether to listen to the whispers from heaven or ignore them. The fulfillment she craves is within her grasp, but is it truly hers to take? Now, Rachel Neal writes Under the Big Sky of Missoula, Montana, and she has her own press called Lena Charles, Inc. Beautiful work by Rachel S. Neal. So, Rachel, we've understood that this is Jonah's wife, and she's feeling like he loved or loves somebody else. But is that actually in
3: the Bible? Good question. No. No. <laughs> That and you made it easy on me <laughs> yes, no <then> the questions <laughs> no i um, I'll, I'll take you back a little bit to to why I chose this story i I really love biblical fiction where the historical figures because they're not they're not stories as in made up stories. I believe in the the truth of the Bible, word for word. so I believe Jonah was a real man and a real historical character in his time period. He would have been married, he probably had children, and all of those things that you associate with that time period so when Jonah ran. When Jonah decided to disobey God, he left a lot behind. We don't know if he told a lot of people or if he didn't tell anybody what God said. We don't know how old he was for sure. We don't know much at all about him whether he made his living as being a prophet or if he was a sheep herder or we there are so many things we don't know. The book of Jonah is only 4 chapters long. It's it's very short in the Bible. So that left a lot of room for creativity. And when you go to write biblical fiction, it's okay if I yeah, diverge die, on that. Go, right go in. down that road. Absolutely. That is one of the pleasures of writing biblical fiction is is you want to stay true to the Bible, but looking at it with different eyes. And a lot of times when we look at what we call the Bible stories that we've learned since childhood, we have a we have an image in our mind of these perfect human beings who either make a lot of mistakes and then, have mercy, or they never make a mistake, and then be, they become great. Like or Queen we Esther, don't see their mistake exactly. And 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 what I love to write about is these characters as real people. So they're not all bad. They're not all good. Even your bad characters have good motive generally. So that was fun with Jonah. Really, I started writing the book because I wanted to do the fish scene, and um, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It was my creative mind just wanting to just kind of do that burst forth. And, but it was really a joy to write the whole book. The study of the book of Jonah, um, oh my goodness, it is it, it, it so rich. It is one of the richest books in the Bible. It just shows God's heart, and that's what Jonah's about. It's not a fish tale, and it's not about a man and his reluctance. It's not about Jonah being punished. It's about God's heart and his love for the entire world. And when we read the Old Testament, you realize that they are they are very much tied to the fact that they are God's people. But God loved the world then, just like he loves the world now. It's John three sixteen, just in the Old Testament. So it was a pleasure to write. It was a book about mercy. It's a b- book about relationships. Jonah's wife wasn't happy when he left, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a lot of consequences because of what he did. And you'll just have to read the book to find out what they all were. So when you were
2: creating the character of Jonah's wife, and she's not in the Bible, what gave you the essence of this character that you could Put into this
3: story. Well, that's deep. Um, because I wanted it to be a book about the marriage relationship between Jonah and his wife. So the book is told basically from Jonah's point of view and from her point of view. So you see the, the two different perspectives. But I wanted her to not be a victim. Um, I didn't want her I'm so tired of female yes. victims. We have a lot of female victims out there. So she's in the stories. Of yes, and we need strong women. Yes, and real women. So, real. And usually in real life, we are our own worst enemy. <laughs> and so that's what I like my characters to be as well. And so and so she's not an orphan or she's not been abused by her parents. In fact, she has a good family. But she has her own issues, and most of them come from circumstances in her life. But it's how she chooses to view them and, and deal with them and, and how much she will turn over to God or not turn over to God.
2: So, a lot of how you built her character though would have maybe come from what you've understood in researching the culture of that time, how she might fit into a marriage or be a part of that
3: yes, that would be that would be definitely a part of it. Women were respected in those in those day and natures, but definitely the person making the decision was the husband mm-hmm. um, so that did fit into it, and also with all my characters and I, I think every writer would tell you this that. There's a part of me that's in her, hmm. part of my husband that's in Jonah, but not completely. Mm-hmm. So all the good parts of course are in my husband. You know, not no, I'll bad parts. It's <laughs> yeah. All the good parts. It's <laughs> all, all the good parts. Part. <laughs> <laughs> but but a lot of it is life experience. And and I realize now that when you look back over my books, how much my own life experience goes into each character in some way or another. That's really interesting because I think the only way that you can be a writer
2: really, is by understanding your own life experience and then using that to create characters. I mean, you can't pull something out of the blue and write it if you've never understood it, experienced it, read about it, researched it, something. And so, you know, when people say write what you know, a lot of times people think that means they have to write a memoir. But the reality isn't. And the last couple of uh, shows that I've recorded, well, that you will, by the time this comes on the air, they would have been in the February lineup we did a lot of talking with memoirs and how to write them but the reality is you can take your memoir and put it to fiction in a way that might be more read or more palatable to people because it's a third-party reading and i find it intriguing that you recognize that you've really put a lot of yourself into your fiction i do that too one of my stories uh, a healing heart there's a scene in the book where it has to do with a dog, and the dog in the book, a healing heart, was modeled after our family dog. Oh, yeah. And that scene is actually a true scene. And I, I used it in the book, but I used my fictional characters going through it. But the words that the vet says, the, word, the experience that happened in the room, everything is absolutely true to what happened to my family. I just renamed them as characters in that particular <laughs> scene.
3: <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so when you were writing Jonah, You had a lot more material, even though it was only four chapters, but you had a little bit of understanding of his character based on the book of the Bible. What were some character traits that were important to you to include
3: in Jonah? One of my biggest pet peeves when I read Christian fiction, biblical fiction uh, sometimes, kind of what I was saying earlier is when when we make these characters perfect, Mm -hmm. esther is the prime example you know any book you read about esther it's like she never has any flaws you just don't Mm -hmm. it's hard to (laughs) she's rarely written as a real person especially as a real teenager Mm -hmm. but jonah i feel almost the opposite that we overlook him and give him a bad rap he's just the reluctant prophet the Mm -hmm. prophet who ran the prophet who disobeyed the the prophet who rebelled Mm -hmm. and yet he wouldn't be in the bible Right. And he is the only prophet that Jesus compared himself to. And I don't have that reference right in front of me. But but Jesus compared himself to Jonah at one point And mm. and he wouldn't have done that if Jonah was somebody that was to be reprehensible for the rest of, you know, the rest of time. So Jonah, yeah, I feel like he gets a bad rap because he was very loyal to Israel in my mind. And in the research I did, especially when you read um, the Jewish perspective of the book of Jonah, was that he was incredibly loyal to his country and his people, and the thought that he would go to Nineveh and give them a chance to live, knowing that Nineveh was his country's enemy, and that if anybody was going to strike a sword against Israel and cut it down, it was probably going to be the Assyrians. So Jonah was the ultimate patriot, and what he did was wrong. He should not have rebelled against God, of course, and yet there was reason for it, and So, you know, he gets a bad rap, and I don't think he should. So I give him a little credit in this book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the things that's also important in what you were saying is that we have to um, overcome our own prejudice to offer grace to our enemies or to people we don't like or to people we're mad at or hold a grudge against. And that is a really difficult thing to do. And I need to take us to break. So, Rachel, where can we find you online? I am at gracebythegallon.com. Awesome. And I am at AngelaBreidenbach.com. And on social media, you can find me at Ange We'll be back right after this.
0: Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this.
1: Does your past haunt you? Do you feel helpless sometimes? Are deep wounds still hurting your heart? Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, the treasure of experience today, wherever books are sold, or at AngelaBreidenbach.com. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up on iTunes. You can subscribe also
2: on toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career.
0: We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach.
2: The beauty of writing biblical fiction is bringing these characters to life. And the joy of being able to share this with Rachel S. Neal and have her be with us to help you learn how to write biblical fiction and have a more lucrative creative career is why we're doing this show today. So it's a joy to have her literally in my office. I don't get to do that very often. (laughs) In fact, never. I've never had anybody record in my office before. It's always been on Skype or... At some retreat or something like (laughs) that, but never in my office, so I'm honored. We might have to do this again. (laughs) One of the other things we were talking about is getting together regularly to uh, force each other to do the business of writing and the business behind what we're doing. And I think that's an interesting part of being an indie author. I do have a couple questions along that line before we get back in. Sorry, guys, I just took us off on a rabbit trail, but we're going down that rabbit trail. (laughs) let's go, (laughs) Rachel, how did you decide to set your business up so that you do this indie writing where you're not uh, wasting money, you're not overspending money, you're conserving while
3: you're selling? When I first started writing, I didn't know if I would make any money. So I had to look at that and decide... Why am I writing? And what I came down to was I had just a passion for the truth of the Bible as written. And that and a lot of that was a passion for the story of Noah and being truth. And that that's what kind of spurred me on to write. I decided if I had a story in me, that that was coming from God and that I should listen and that I should write regardless. So I didn't go into writing to make a lot of money. And I have not made a lot of money, but God is good. And if it's something you're considering, I, I guess, okay, here, here's my own rabbit trail. You have to decide if you're writing for yourself or if, that, if the Spirit's putting it in you, and there's a reason. But that reason isn't necessarily that you're going to sell. When you sit down and write and follow the Spirit, you will grow in ways you can't imagine. And God will put people in your path that you will touch regardless of whether you're making a big income or not. For me, I put out my first book, and I put it out a, a little too soon. Oh my goodness! Typos you would not believe because I couldn't see them for myself for two mm. reasons. One, I knew what the wording was, and so it was easy for my eyes to skip over it. I also needed glasses, and I didn't realize it. You're serious? I, you know? I did not realize I couldn't see O's and E's. <laughs> so that was <laughs> part of my problem on that first book. Learn that lesson. So I put it out, and I I did have an agent to start off with, and she shopped that book and tried to find a publisher, but it wasn't accepted. And in retrospect, I could see why. There were, there were so many mistakes in it, but I didn't know. I was a new, a new person. I think writing. that's an
2: important part, though. When we get vulnerable and we share the journey of writing to publication to success, I think it's too hard to look at people now that are quote-unquote successful, just like we look at the heroes of the Bible. And we give those heroes in the Bible so much credit, but we don't treat them like real people like you do in your novels. But we don't treat each other in this current day with the mercy of real people either. And we see somebody, maybe they've written a bunch of books, maybe they've written one book, whatever, but we think they've been super successful. And then because of that success, we put them up on a pedestal, and then we naturally try to destroy that pedestal. So sharing your very real story
3: is going to help a lot of people out there discover their own. I hope so, because, yeah, not being a professional, I wow, I just jumped in and, and started working on things. Started looking for friends, like Angie, who could help me <laughs> <laughs> learn the ropes. But I did make a lot of mistakes along the way. And But that's part of the process of growing. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, everybody's going to have to go through it in their own way. You look at your own work, and it's hard not to think it is the best novel ever written. But mm-hmm. really, it's probably not.
2: And because it, of the time that you've put into it, the blood, sweat, and tears, putting all that together, and you think it's special... And there's so much work. Mine is, my first one's still, you know, the the under-the-bed collecting. (laughs) The dust bunnies have planted carrot seeds. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, That is so true. Anyway, I didn't find a publisher. So I I went the independent publishing route, and and that's worked fine for me. I I enjoy it. If I had a publisher right now say, hey, do you want to think about publishing this with us? I would probably jump at the chance. And that's the honest truth. Part of that would be because they would do the marketing. Yeah, <laughs> and Angie's given me a life. <laughs> I
2: hate that part. <laughs> well, you know, unless you're in the top 1% of all authors, publishers don't really do the marketing. Oh. And so that's why having somebody who has been successful, and she's being a little modest, folks, but <laughs> for people who have been successful in the indie world, to get out there and say that it is possible because the publishers have had to pull back and pull back and pull back on income as well in this industry since the big behemoth has come out. And (laughs) it's really damaged a lot of the financial success of a lot of traditional publishers to where so many lines have closed. I've actually had uh, different books be sold and had to be given back to me by publishers because they closed their lines before that book came out. So I really, to me, it's really crucial that people do understand there is success as an indie. There is success as traditional. I happen to straddle both worlds. I do both indie and traditional. But I really want to help people understand and grow as not only authors but as business people, as entrepreneurs, as people who have an understanding of what they're doing in the industry and understanding that this is a business, you cannot do this as, like, just a hobby. You have to put not only the blood, sweat, and tears of writing the book, but you have to learn what are how are good covers made, like we've been talking about. If you don't learn the good covers, if you don't learn... I love Rachel's tagline, and I'm going to read this to you again. He isn't the only one sinking beneath the waves of rebellion. When Jonah Ran is the title. Now, doesn't that just drop you into the story? Why is she sinking in rebellion? Why is she feeling that she's sinking at all? And so with all of that, it makes me want to know more about her and more about her story. So I think it's something that is crucial to learn, all of this. But don't think that just because you get traditionally published, you're going to get a lot of marketing done. It just doesn't happen, unless you're like the big name. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not there yet. (laughs) Most of us aren't there (laughs) yet. Like I said, 1%, and that's of millions of authors. So there's maybe, maybe there's 100 really big names. Maybe, if we're lucky, 200 really big names out there in the world that are actually getting marketing dollars. So if you're out there wondering whether you should indie publish, make sure you have your book professionally edited that you have a professional book cover, whether you learn to do it yourself. You can't just slap it together like I've, I've tried to do in the past. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and be willing to change the cover and be willing to go back and get the editing done so your O's and
3: E's are really the right <laughs> O's
2: and E's and get glasses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did have, not know
3: that about you. That's I have hilarious. numerous pairs of glasses now. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <alert. it is. laughs> I, I would not Yeah, but see, those are things we learn about ourselves and a okay. part of the journey. Yeah, something else I uh, I just did. My book before this one is a post World War II book. What's it's a coming title? of age. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is now mm-hmm. How to Mend a Broken Star. Oh, I love that What's title. It fits so much better. Because well, I know the other title. She knows the other title. And I battled her on the other title. <laughs> and she did. And it was my pride <laughs> <laughs> that kept me <laughs> with the other bad title, which I'm not even going to say online, but but at the time I told you about my, my group I go to where I, uh, covers where they give you information. Well, there were a few people who loved my original title and that is what I clung to. The majority of the people did not. They had reservations about it, especially for Christian fiction, but you know, you always think you know best. And I wanted that original title and I kept it and I didn't sell any books. And I wondered why. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of pride and learning how to take the advice of others. And I went back and found the notes that I had taken. That when people really had problems with my original cover and title, and thought through it, worked through it, and came up with the new the new title and and a new cover as well. So I repeat the title, please. How to mend a broken star. I love that new title. It fits the
2: story. And I didn't know that was the new title. I thought it was still the old title.
3: (laughs) And I'll honor you by not saying that. (laughs) And I just changed that today. No wonder I didn't know. She didn't even tell me over lunch. That was today. Not even over (laughs) prosciutto eggs. That's right. I know. It never came up. (laughs) The other one will live out there on Amazon probably forever. Um, So it it will haunt me and follow me, but probably in a good way because I'll remember that I'm not always right. <laughs> but see,
2: that's what I think is so important is this, not only the the journey of getting better at the craft and better at titles and better at all these things. No one is perfect. No, not one. And if we think we are perfect and we tune out everything else around us and we forget to be a student of the industry, a student under God's tutelage, a student under those he sends us as well, And Rachel and I are equals because we've been in a great critique group together. And over lunch today, we're discussing the fact that we really missed those times because there was a richness in how we were able to produce our work and discuss our work in a really open and loving and caring way. It spurred us on to be better writers because the give and take was honest, was open, was caring, and it wasn't about red penning or slashing apart somebody else's work. There was never that in it. Maybe sharing a little bit about why our critique group worked so well and maybe how that critique group or joining a critique group or forming your own, which, by the way, I think worked really well for us. Ours wasn't a professionally formed group, was it?
3: No, no. We were just um, a bunch of writers who got together. We we were in a, uh, a Montana group and those of us that lived locally primarily just decided to get together and critique work and it was a wonderful thing it's not going on right now because life happens Mm -hmm. but it was a wonderful thing you know we were talking earlier about pride and how pride can affect your writing because you really think that everything you've done is is the best that it can be but really it's probably not and and the reality is we all need other people to throw ideas off of and even the more you write, it, you still need it. You, you hone certain things, like maybe you don't have problems with point of view anymore. But we always need to share that with one another. Mm-hmm. One thing, though, that really made made me love our critique group, Angie, and I'm sure you know, is that we were open and honest, but we weren't hurtful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's key.
2: It's true. I was talking with somebody else, and the the difference. I made up a word, and I'm going to stick with that word again. And it was in a it was in an episode of lit up with Cheryl Ricker, so it was back in February. But the difference between being critical and critiquical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You like critique I, like I like it. I think that's gonna be my, my new word for for lit up is are like, are you critical or are you critiquical? <laughs> A critical person is going after someone out of jealousy or meanness or competitiveness or putting them down because they have to be lifted up. They're just being critical. It's a critical spirit. And a critical spirit, it it comes from the other world. It comes from the unseen world. Uh, It comes from the negativity of Satan. Critical is a meanness that, that just cuts people down, cuts their work apart. And there's not a sweetness. There's not a desire to lift that other person up. There's not a desire to encourage them, to make them a better writer. It's about making you feel better because you've put someone else down. That's a critical spirit, right? Yeah. And a a critical spirit (laughs) is someone who's joyous in helping, wanting to lift that other person up, really looking at what is written on the page and how could that be written better. And then it's really important that you allow the other person to not only have time to digest what you've said. I mean, they may need to leave the critique group, go home and think about it for a week or two, because they might really be tied to those words. But they also might need to think about how the plot allows them to change the words, because sometimes the plot ties you up in a corner, and that can be an issue. And I think, man, the brainstorming we had. What did you like about the
3: brainstorming? It's just amazing for... To put any, even if you only have two people in your critique group, the differences, if you ask a question, or, you know, how is this phrase, how could it be worded better, and and just the diversity. Um, That is just invaluable. If you you are a writer already, you'll find that you have pet phrases and pet pet words. (laughs) I use the word fester a lot. Something's always festering in my books. Probably every book, something's festering. <laughs> Sometimes it's a real wound. Sometimes it's an attitude. But but when you get with other people, they can find those. And mm-hmm. they'll say, you know, you used the word fester three pages ago. Maybe you should change that word. But it's words that, you know, you love it and you love that phrase and you don't want to cut it. But, but other people can see it. And they're usually right. I loved that about our group was that... Nobody was afraid to say what they really thought. Again, they said it kindly. Mm-hmm. But we weren't there to um, turn somebody else's work into our own work, but to that make can be their pitfall. work better. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pitfall if you're trying to. I had a critique
2: group before ours where they were always trying to rewrite my work into theirs. And it's like, that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It, you aren't the other person. And you aren't. Writing their story, you're trying to think about what their voice is, and voice is personality on the page. And it also has to take a twist of the different characters have to have different personalities, but still the word choices you put in those characters come from you, or if you can't think of it, your brainstorming critique partner. But it, you, you've got male POV and you've got female POV. One of the things I loved about our group was. If our character didn't feel like the right character, it seemed like in the brainstorming sessions that we had, the other people could help put a a finger on why. They could say, oh, no, that sounds too feminine. That's a man. Or would she really say that because she went through this situation early in her life? Would she really behave that way? And it was really cool for all of us as writers to go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. You are right, you know?
3: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I remember different times where we made suggestions because we knew, like in my book, I knew what my character's background was. I knew where she was. Her choice. But uh, my critique groups, Angie and and the others, they didn't know the story. And so things I had written made zero sense. But they were able to point that out. I remember one about a, a
2: scene in a cave where we were trying to figure out all the details about that cave. And we all gave up all our desire to work on our own books that session because we wanted to work on your cave session. Because we cave so much. But there was something odd happening in the battle. And then you came back the next week after that, and that scene was incredible because of the brainstorming. But it was all your work and your words based on how we didn't understand what was happening about that cave
3: until you went and rewrote it. It was right. amazing. That's right. And it, so in that respect, it's great. And, and that just makes me think about how defensive you are as the writer and how you can't mm-hmm. let everybody's opinion make you feel bad about yourself. But you also have to realize that maybe they're right, but they're not always right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a, it's something you have to just balance. But um, getting rid of that defensiveness is, is hard.
2: Yeah, because that's taking yourself and and putting your pride aside and that because pride and defensiveness those get in the way in a critique group and trust is hard built and you have to build trust that this person is wanting you to be better wanting to uplift you and that's why it's okay to be in a position where you're helping to improve each other's writing but that you give that person time to walk away and think about it and come back because it it makes a huge difference I remember there was a time with my book where everybody was trying to help me brainstorm it, and I kept going, no, 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 that's not (laughs) what I want. (laughs) But when I really took it home and thought about it, I I think it turned out better, because you guys really helped me overcome that impasse, you know, that kind of a
0: thing. (laughs) Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this.
1: Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, The Treasure of Experience today, wherever books are sold, or at AngelaBreidenbach.com.
0: We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. And we are back
2: with Rachel S. Neal, and you can find her at GraceByTheGallon.com. And Rachel's last name is spelled N-E-A-L. And the book we've been discussing is When Jonah Ran.
3: I, I want to tell you, I put hours and hours, days and days working on the new title. It's not something I come up with easily. And so I've had, oh my goodness, so many different writers, new titles.
2: Writers don't come up with titles easily. We don't. And I know we're coming to the end of our time together. But if you could share with our listeners, if when you started writing biblical fiction, and you wanted to give them some tips on what are the most important things they need to remember in writing biblical fiction.
3: Um, I think, first of all, I would say stay true to the Bible um, as much as you can. With a lot of characters we don't know, their histories, but you just want to stay true to who that person is and what the Bible says about them. Um, you don't want to twist history too much. Mm-hmm. And... There are many resources out there. Um, you want to do a, just a lot of research on that character from different points of view. If it is biblical fiction, you want to get some Jewish input, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I learned a lot from this, my research into Jewish um, interpretations of the Bible. And um, But don't be afraid to make your characters human. And uh, I think those would be the most important things.
2: I think those are the most important things. Learning to understand that... The are human and staying true to the biblical story because as soon as you take it out of that biblical story, oh, do you remember the disaster of the movie, Noah? Oh,
3: groan, <laughs> oh
2: my. Well, so, you know, you want to stay true to the story as people understand it, but you want to flesh them out into people that you might sit down and understand today and how that affects you today. And I think that's how you make a change in someone's heart is taking what is real. And, and expanding it in a way that we can understand it today in a message that is true and beautiful. So, Rachel, you have truth... I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Rachel, tell us your website.
3: GraceByTheGallon.com
2: And are you on any social media? Um, I'm on Facebook. Okay, is it a profile
3: or is it a fan page for an author? I, I have two of them. I think I have one of each. And I say I think because I'm not sure what they are. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know there was a difference. (laughs) So I may have one of each or I may have two of one of them. (laughs) Rachel, where can we find you on Facebook? Uh, Rachel, oh, I just changed that too. Um, I had to put my middle initial in there because there's another Rachel Neal that writes, but um, that's not me. So it's always with the middle initial. S as in sugar. Thank you. Yep. so Rachel S. Neal. Nice. (laughs)
2: You can find me on Facebook at Ange Breidenbach. That's my author Facebook page. So that's where fans and readers would find me. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, and LinkedIn at Ange Breidenbach. And then you can find me on my website, AngelaBreidenbach.com, where hopefully you'll find all of the information (laughs) you need about the radio shows, which include Lit Up with Angela Breidenbach, and you can also find me on my website, AngelaBreidenbach.com, where you can find all of my podcasts and radio shows. And you can find me on social media, at AngelaBreidenbach. Thank you so much for being with me, Rachel S. Neal. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> it's really a blast to do these in person. I think I'm going to have to do more of them. <laughs> I'll come
3: back. <laughs> Please do. I'll write another book. In the, I, yeah. Yes. And are you do, are
2: you planning more books?
3: Um. Yes. I don't know what they are. But I'm sure there's more in my head. They'll come out. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have another favorite Bible story? No. (laughs) I, I really wanted to do Jonah, and I wanted to do Noah, and I don't know beyond that. I'll think about it and pray about it. Awesome. Well, thank you for
2: being with us, Rachel. Thank you. I have some personal news to share with everyone, and that is that the Captive Brides Collection, Nine Stories of Great Challenges Overcome Through Great Love, that book has now gone into large print edition. So if you borrow books from your library, or you need books that have larger print like me, you can get this now in hardback, and it's put out by Gale, which is a publishing company that works with Thorndike, and they do large print hardback editions of books. Well, this one The Captive Bride's Collection was originally published with Barber Publishing, Barber Barber Books, and it's one of the nine-in-one series that they do 20,000-word novellas, and they cover the whole ages of whatever the book is about. In this particular case, it's about heroines who are in some way experiencing captivity. The story that I have in this book is called His Indentured Bride, and it includes a character named Myri So you put a little bit of trill on the end of it. Now, I do not have a Scottish accent, so I would love to read maybe a page or two of it to you so you get an idea of what this story's about. But it starts out in Ireland, Scotland, in May of 1773. Then it continues on into the Revolutionary War in America as these characters travel and become indentured servants, which was a very common practice at that time. And I began studying the indentured servitude because I thought it might be possible that my own ancestors, Thomas Nelson, Jr. and Thomas Nelson, Sr., were probably indentured servants. I have not yet proven that or disproven it, but it put me on this track of studying this indentured servitude, and how difficult and harsh it was in America at that time, which was pre-United States. So this is a little bit of that story of his indentured bride from the Captive Bride's Collection. Chapter 1, Air Scotland, May 1773. Mighty, I'll send for you as soon as I can. The noise of the market, the brain donkey, the fishmonger chasing away skinny howling cats faded into non existence under the waterfall of silent tears he'd cost her. No, no, you can't go and leave me. We were to go to America together after the wedding. John McGowan cannot afford two of us at once, but he will bring you next, and I'll be there to help him. Kirk curled his sweetheart into his arms. One week more and they'd have married. The bands read, and only the ceremony left. "'but he couldn't stay with no means of support "'from already overtaxed, over-divided family lands "'stretched to feed too many. "'He had to take this opportunity. "'The vessel wouldn't wait to sail for a poor man's wedding "'any more than the sea would agree to hold the storms at bay. "'Thou will never allow me to come to you alone!' "'Tears coursed down her face as she grasped his collar, "'tightening her knuckles into the tweed. "'No, like this. There's yet another way. "'There's nothing for our future here, love. Nothing!' He pressed her head to his heart. I did want this, but there's no way round it, myrie and you know it well. But as a slave, indenture, he corrected her. Only two years, and John tis a good man for Mair. When I leave John's service, he'll fit me with two new suits of clothes, a year's rations, and I'll have learned a new trade. How could he convince her? His childhood friend's offer opened a prospect they couldn't pass up. All I can is farming in a place I canna farm, there's no land left. Should I feed my family weeds pulled from the unkempt roads? Many already supplemented the little they had this way to fill their bairns' bellies. Kirk held back a grimace. Within the next few years, they'd all be down to mud in their stew pots. I'll learn to farm more than potatoes and oats, and I'll be able to run all the aspects of a gristmill. mill. what would you have me do? Her tears still wet on her face, she brushed them off and stepped back with a flash in her eyes. We're all but married, and he cannot wait to leave me, Kirk Lochlin. She dropped her chin a moment, breaking eye contact. As she lifted it, she pointed at the dock where the small boat waited, in the distance to take him to the larger port. Then go! I'll ne'er beg a man again. I have me pride. She turned her face away from him, tightening her lips, her arms straight as the wooden road sign they'd passed pointing toward town. People teeming all round them gawking at the lover's quarrel, yet she seemed alone and small in the chaos with her dark beribboned hair dancing in the spring breeze. Myri, I'll quit there and give you a chance to get a copy of The Captive Bride's Collection yourself. You can find it at your favorite retailer, whether online or locally. And I would love to hear what you think of His Indentured Brides. And I know that all the other eight authors in this special collection would love to hear what you think of their stories, too. The Captive Brides collection from Barber, if you'd like the regular paperback or ebook, or from Gale, if you'd like the large print, hard edition. And it's a special book that goes all the way through history, with stories popping in to different decades. So I hope you'll enjoy it. So thanks again for listening on Lit Up, and I will be back with you next week with another guest to enhance your creative life and help you have a more lucrative career.
0: Thank you for joining us on Lit Up. Light up your literary world. Expand your imagination. Enhance your life. Lit Up, we'll be back next week with another great conversation. Join us, won't you? Right here on Lit Up.
1: No, no place I'd rather be. If